Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What is next for IT modernization and digital transformation within the U.S. federal government? How is federal IT and technology improving the customer experience? I'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Maria Rote, Deputy Federal Chief Information Officer within the Office of Management and Budget. Maria, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Maria, just to set some context, what is the mission of the Office of Management and Budget OMB? Um, OMB, uh, it really oversees the implementation of the president's vision across the executive branch, right? The president's budget. And whether it's budget development, execution, the overall management and oversight of, you know, the federal government agency's performance, its procurement, financial management, um, really handling legislative materials, right, clearance and coordination, anything that may be going on on the Hill, agency testimony, um, OMB also, you know, handles the clearance of president's executive orders, um, memorandum to agencies, heads prior to their issuance. So it covers really OMB's mission covers the broad brush of executing on the president's vision for the executive branch. You know, so transitioning a little bit from the OMB mission to your duties and responsibilities as the deputy federal CIO, perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about those responsibilities, your portfolio, and more importantly, where does it fit within OMB? Um, so I am, uh, you know, the deputy federal CIO um, within OMB. We are in the office of e-government, which is actually the office of the federal CIO, who is um, currently Claire Montana, the federal CIO. Uh, but our portfolio really covers the entire broad brush of anything touching technology and cybersecurity across the federal government. This is really where we sit. And when you think about technology and how it touches and underlines and enables so much across the federal government, we really have a hand in in touching uh, many, many things. So my portfolio really is advising, of course, the federal CIO on just general information technology oversight, as well as you know the OMB director, deputy director, and others, and then just overseeing the operational and those administrative functions on. IT policy development, agency engagement, just governance, and overall IT modernization and digital service delivery, right? And data governance. All of those things really come into um, the scope of responsibilities. It's very, the portfolio is very broad, dealing with not only internal stakeholders within OMB, including on the budget side, right? Working on the budget, whether it's, you know, this year's, next year's, the out year's as well as working with all of the CIOs through the CIO councils and the CISO councils. So it's a very uh, big, very broad portfolio and we touch many things. And I was wondering, given that it's uh, you know, enterprise-wide federal government, broad, as you pointed out, you know, what are some of the top challenges you have faced uh, since taking on your 
uh, position at, at OMB, whether it was in the acting capacity or, or now as deputy federal CIO? And how have you sought to address those challenges? Really, you know, there is so much coordination across so many stakeholders, both internal to OMB from, um, you know, in other offices within um, the EOP, including the NSC, the Office of Science and Technology Programs, um, just across the board within not just OMB and the budget, but also external across the federal agencies. And as well as working with, with industry and other stakeholders, I think when you look at all of those factors um, and how that comes together, I think, you know, the long-term planning is something that we really pay attention to because think about this year, we're in FY21, the FY22 budget is already, you know, on its way. We're already working on FY23 and thinking about FY24. So I think when you think about in terms of challenges to your question, it's really being able to think strategically and how you can move the needle for the federal government, thinking in the long term, knowing that you know the budget drives a lot of this, and how do you get what you need into the budget to support technology in the federal government? So you really have to have that that long view for the long term planning. So Maria, what has um, surprised you most since taking on your current role? Um, what surprised me most? You know, coming from, you know, agency level, I've been at the agency level, you know, in the federal civilian for a long time, as well as DOD and coming up to OMB, I think what somewhat of a surprise, but I knew what I was getting into is really learning how the sausage is made, if you will, the inner workings of the process and how the budget is developed, how the management is plan is developed, right? The management agenda for the president. Um, so coming in and really understanding uh, how all of that operates from the inside, not just having the outside view and why sometimes, you know, getting a, getting a, a really good understanding of why things take so long, right? In policy, they should take a while, but I like to, you know, from my perspective, I like to execute and like to get things done and, and keep things moving. And, and when you look at policy and the policy development, it requires patience. It requires a little bit of time because there's a lot of really smart people at OMB and elsewhere across the federal government that, that each have, you know, maybe historical knowledge that helps inform those policies, the budgets, the guidance that gets put out. So I think really learning how the sausage is made I knew getting into this job again that it was, I was going to learn how the sausage is made. And now I am in the middle of it. And in particular with being here with an administration change, right? With one administration leaving um, as they pushed out some of their agenda and continuing priorities as they were heading out the door with the new administration coming in with their priorities. So really, you know, as they've been, this administration's pushed really hard on their priorities. They're moving, you know, a thousand miles an hour and really moving fast. But again, making that sausage, making it fast with the incoming administration and really learning that entire aspect has really been, um, uh, I think it really has been something on a, a learning curve for me. And, uh, and the surprise is really, you know, how much work and how much effort the staff actually puts in to making that sausage. 
You mentioned that you were on the department side in your career. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your career path for our listeners. How did you begin your career? What brought you to your current leadership role? Oh, man. I started a long time ago working in tech. I actually, um, in the uh, late 70s, um, I got into, in high school, there was a program uh, called BOCES in upstate New York, and I got into that, and they were teaching computer programming. And that's where I started. And at the time when I was a senior, the colleges really weren't teaching anything about computers. But I did find the Navy had operational um, computers. So I joined the Navy and I went to A school and I was, you know, got trained on mainframes and key punches and tapes and and all of that. And that's really where I got my started. I really developed an interest in it because in high school I had no interest in what they were teaching at the time was home ec and all that. I took business classes, I took math classes, I'm actually a math geek, but I stuck with it and I have been with tech my entire career. So moving through, you know, when I got off active duty, I stayed in the reserves in the military. So I stayed as a technologist in the military in the reserves, but I also um, started my federal civilian career when I got off active duty as GS3. And really saw and was able to work across the federal government in so many aspects as technology changed from running cables and taking apart PCs to running a global network and running programs and really being in on probably the leading edge, I wouldn't say the bleeding edge, leading edge of a lot of technology and being able to do that. So and, and I've worked at a number of, not just DOD, when I got off active duty, I came to the federal civilian in 2004, TSA. And I've, I've had some amazing opportunities at TSA. I got to work on the secure flight program and stand that up from its inception. And that's where, you know, you check the IDs and, you know, who you are, who you say you are, right? Secure flight, checking your identity, you know, your name, date of birth. That's why you give it. I know why you do that, but having those opportunities. So, you know, working with DOD, working for Navy Medical from stand up through working with DHS for 10 years, having just a, a ton of opportunities. There probably isn't a job that I haven't done in technology. I've never done, I don't think I've ever done the same job twice, <laughs> but having the exposure of you know running global networks, running network monitoring and management in its early days, even before CDM, I was doing that in the nineties and you know stitching together packages. But again, throughout my career, both my civilian, you know, working my way up, again, taking risks, stepping outside of my comfort zone, being, taking on different jobs. I got to stand up the FedRAMP program. Um, uh, who gets to run one of the first federal-wide, government-wide programs? Um, and that was really, you know, standing that up and getting it at least to full operations and getting that moving. That was really incredible. But again, uh, being the CTO over Department of Transportation, learning about the transportation sector was incredible. Um, v to V, V to I, right? Smart cities, connected cities. But, you know, trying to be present in every job I've had, not detached and looking for the next thing. And then, you know, having the opportunity to be the, the deputy federal CIO, considering I started as a GS3 back in 1985. It's been quite a journey and being the um, 
I guess it's somebody told me this a year ago when I took a year or so ago when I took the job that I'm currently the senior civilian um, in technology in the federal government. And that's just, I never thought about it in those terms. And that's just incredibly, incredibly humbling um, in this role. You know, Maria, given that perspective, along with your department level experience, now your uh, federal enterprise wide experience, your your experience in the mili- in the services, what characteristics make one an effective leader? And perhaps you could share with us some of the principles, the leadership principles that guide you. You know, coming out of the military, one of the things that they do well, right? So, twenty six years in the Navy, active duty reserve you know, authority, accountability, responsibility, they all go hand in hand. And from a leadership perspective, I think, you know, I take I take that to heart, right? That those all go hand in hand, right? That's drilled into you all the time, every leadership class. And, but I also, I also take risks, um, whether it was on my career, stepping outside my comfort zone, um, or, or how I operate. I think, uh, you know, as part of the leadership principles, I am a risk taker uh, doing things differently. I mean, if you look at the Small Business Administration and the team there, um, we took a lot of risk in what we did and we moved very fast. And I'm not afraid of um, of taking risk, prudent risk, right? You, you don't wanna be reckless. This is about being prudent, but I think that's that's incredibly important as a leader, being able to, to do things like that. I also, again, I have appreciation that I have to be accountable and being decisive, I think goes hand in hand with that as well, right? Making a decision and being accountable for that decision and being accountable for my team. And the teams have to work together and that team building is is so important because with a good team, having the accountability, owning it, taking risks, you can build a high performing team that is incredibly passionate about what they do and you can accomplish the seemingly impossible. I think I'd also have, you know, confidence, right? If you have confidence, you can instill motivation. Part of that is persuasion and wanting, you want people to be part of your vision. You want them to be with you on the journey and, and having that optimism and that positive energy, I think is all part of that. And then I mentioned this earlier, dedication, being present and and having integrity, doing the right thing. Um, There's a lot of leadership characteristics, but I think those are a few of the things that, that I think I carry with me. What are the key federal IT priorities? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Widner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. 
Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Maria Roque, Deputy Federal Chief Information Officer within the Office of Management and Budget. A modern information technology IT functions uh, as the backbone of how government serves the public in a digital age. That's pretty obvious. But I was wondering, Maria, what are the key IT priorities being pursued by the current administration? Um, so we really, we really have an eye towards um, improving customer experience. You know, having that vision for a federal enterprise, cross-government initiatives, and really running IT like a business. Um, when having that vision of, of a seamless government, right? You want harness technology to stay nimble, resilient, secure. And this is really when you're looking at the priorities of, of the administrator, administration, as well as the federal CIO, getting in the weeds on, on a couple of the areas is really looking at that customer experience, how you design and build for your customers, for the people, right? You build services and offering using human-centered design to provide users a better experience. And there's been, you know, some legislation over time, over the last few years, whether it's the IDEA Act and the Cases Act. There are two areas that are foundationally, they're really impactful for better user experiences. And as we look at our customers, it's just not the public and our external customers, but also our internal federal employees um, as well. And I think this is one area that's incredibly important to the CIO Council, looking at how we improve that customer experience across, whether it's for our internal or our external customers. I will also share when we talk about federal enterprise project, the CIO Council um, is leading a project on cross-government collaboration and interconnectivity capabilities. So this is for email, calendaring, text chat, document sharing, collaboration, as well as video conferencing and large file sharing. We have a number of agencies that are up on online in a pilot right now, and we're looking to scale that and roll that out. Because through the pandemic, we recognized and from the CIO Council that, that it was critically important that we share across the federal government, not just vertically within agencies, but across the federal government and be able to engage with the states as well. We know that, you know, 21st century technology, right? Making sure that we have modern technology for both our public and for the public services. And this is really, I think, where the ARP TMF 1 billion comes in, the shared services to address legacy and enable the federal government to, to grow. Um, not just run, but grow and transform. On the priorities, I also think uh, being secure by design, right? Building security and cybersecurity's front and center. You saw the cyber executive order, it's accelerating. There's 40, accelerating the federal government, maturity for the federal government. There's 44 actions for OMB for federal wide initiatives. 44 for OMB. And this is really a big push to bring up the entire federal government on cybersecurity. And of course, data continues to be an area of focus as well as the workforce. And I would be remiss if I, if I didn't mention another area is really about IT portfolio management. The council took on a project last year to revisit our investment management and really think about how we manage our IT portfolio in its entirety. 
that is a lot of work there you're, you've mentioned. I was wondering, you know, based on your past experience, what are the key elements of a successful IT strategy in your mind? I'll give you an example from, you know, when I was a CIO at SBA, but it really comes down to having a plan, right? Sharing that plan, knowing what the outcomes are and being able to execute on that plan and, and having partners and stakeholders uh, as part of that plan is really, is really important. When I came into SBA, for example, as the CIO, I was very clear when I came in, we had a huge modernization lift because SBA, you know, I've shared this publicly before, they were behind the curve on technology, but I laid out three big things that we were gonna do. And one of them was, you know, the upgrades of our entire workstations, right? Getting to current operating environments. We were going to get out of the data centers, move to the cloud, embrace the cloud, you know, and I and I shared with the team, I said, I, I wanna get to four racks in our data center, four. Now, I knew that was a really, really stretch goal, and I always had my mind, it probably would have been about six, but um, I put a stretch goal in there. We're going to get to four racks in the data center, and part of our modernization journey, moving to the cloud, is shrinking our footprint. So we had all of that, as well as updating our entire infrastructure. We were on an old star topology, um, and we moved to an Ethernet backbone across the entire. We converged our voice and data. And really what all of this did was part of that strategy was year one, focus on the foundations, right? This gets to the planning, right? Focus on the foundations, execute that. Year one was on the infrastructure. Year two was broadening to the enterprise-wide modernization. And year three was building on that. So I really had a strategy over three years what I expected each year to happen, but it wasn't just me, it was with our stakeholders, it was with the CFO. And I think, you know, a successful IT strategy needs all of those stakeholders and your mission partners to really successfully execute because IT is foundational for everything that we're doing. And uh, I'm probably pretty adamant about that, that, that technology, whether it's, you know, pure technology or it's, you know, working with data or AI or any of the other technologies that are coming out or customer experience is um, is really critical parts of that strategy. You know, it's funny, you bring up the idea of pushing and stretching in order to realize the benefits of, of IT and IT modernization. I was wondering, could you tell us more about the Technology Modernization Fund, TMF, and what's the mission principles and how has it benefited federal agencies in the drive toward IT modernization? Yeah, so the TMF has been around, um, it came out of the MGT Act, and the actual Technology Modernization Fund, the board stood up um, in March three years ago. Um, and it's really that innovative funding vehicle, right? It gives it agencies ways to deliver services to the public more quickly, better secure systems, data, use taxpayer dollars, just more efficiently, right? And it's really prioritizing those solutions to, to improve delivery, right? Is there modernization that needs to happen within an agency, consolidation of services, and really prioritizing those projects that, that serve as common solution or reuse across the federal government. For every project that we've had over the last three years, everyone's had to develop a playbook on what they've done and lessons learned so it could be shared out with other agencies. When you look at uh, HUD on their mainframe, 
modernization. That was a huge multi-year lift, but they learned a lot coming out of that. And part of that is that reuse and being able to share those lessons learned with other agencies. With the billion dollars in the ARP, we're looking at projects that cut across the agencies, of course, really those enterprise-wide projects, those, those things that have immediate security gaps, right? How do those things that need addressed and really any others that improves the public's availability to access government services. So, you know, as we're getting projects in, we're, we've got proposals coming in that are modernizing some of those high priority systems across, across the federal government because they do have significant impact, um, whether it's just on the public and how we serve our public or longstanding security issues. And I keep coming back to cybersecurity because this is really bringing the federal government up to a baseline, consistent baseline of maturity, bringing everybody up in cybersecurity, privacy, and really addressing those gaps that I mentioned earlier about, you know, that, that we're trying to resolve through the executive order. Uh, also with, you know, public facing digital services, scalable services, you know, as we look at proposals, we look at those in mind for what are those cross-cutting across the federal government initiatives, not just a component or bureau within an agency or an agency or department, but those cross-cutting. So we've really looked at um, over a hundred proposals now. Um, we've received over a hundred proposals <laughs> and, and we're continuing to review those. Um, the, the breadth of what's come in is, um, is really pretty significant. And we're reviewing those, methodically reviewing and awarding those. As far as awarding funding, we've got quite a few that have gone through the initial project proposals, moving through to the FPP stage, right? Making your pitch and why you should get funding for this. We've got, a, we received a lot of proposals um, because of the repayment flexibility. Uh, with the first round, the last three years, there was 100% payback required. We do, the board does have flexibility with this go around. So I think it is very beneficial where you do have to address cybersecurity gaps, where there is no demonstrable, if you will, payback, because you do have to make that investment and there is no one for one or like um, payback model on that. So when the board did recognize that initially, um, and then with this repayment, with the TMF, it's really giving us the flexibility. Maria, are there anything, is there anything else happening in terms of how the program is changing a little bit, given the fact that it was a recent $1 billion funding to TMF? I think it was that that was the right amount. Is, is there any changes to governance, tracking of the process? Are there any ready-to-go projects? I know you alluded to 100 that you received. Is there anything else you want to add and how things are going to change because of the the wealth of uh, funding? Yeah, I think the groundwork we laid over the last three years, it's really allowing the board and the PMO to just adjust. And, and we've been able to scale quickly. We are meeting twice a week. We added um, some alternate board members um, to help with the reviews. Um, but we still have to maintain that quality governance and the rigor, right? That made all of our prior awards very successful, right? We've increased capacity, uh, you know, scaled the PMO, we're accelerating the reviews. We're meeting twice a week. Um, we did do that early on three years ago when we got our first proposals in, but we're back to meeting um, twice a week on that. But 
as expected, we are seeing large-scale modernization in cybersecurity cybersecurity projects. But we've received what a hundred over a little over a hundred proposals. Um, uh, the board is actively reviewing. I think we've done over 30 reviews to date, um, and we've got um, more than 15, close to 20 that we've advanced to the full project proposal um, phase. So we are excited about hearing from the agencies, um, not just the CIOs, but those mission stakeholders, the CFO and others as they make their pitch for the money. So it's pretty exciting. That's, that's wonderful. You know, I was wondering, um, uh, switch gears a little bit towards uh, the impact of COVID-19 and the pandemic on federal IT operations. How has it impacted IT operations from how the agencies operate and work to how they deliver on various missions? And if you may, what ways, if any, has the pandemic accelerated the push towards modernization and transformation? What are you getting at is like electronic signatures, telework, robotic process engineering? You know, it, it's a great, I think I'm going to answer the second part first. <laughs> when you go back a year and a half ago with everyone flipping to telework, the government uh, flipped over pretty seamlessly to telework, 100% telework. Yet at the same time, um, electronic signatures, the use of electronic signatures and getting off of paper, that really accelerated. I saw that firsthand, right? Um, no more moving paper around or because you didn't have the ability to print something at home and sign something and scan it. And I was very hardened because I'm, I've, I've always used electronic signatures where I can, right? Save a tree um, and not print out as much. Um, I was really happy to see a lot of those simple processes. And even though I say simple, it was impactful to move to electronic signature because things moved a lot faster through rather than shuffling paper around and printing and things like that. But also I think the, the pandemic really accelerated and really showed what we could do when we got bureaucracy out of the way. Everyone was very focused on a thing, whether it was the CARES Act, or any of the other subsequent legislation that came out, everything was very focused on execution and we have to execute. There was pressure to meet deadlines, timelines, all, all of those things. So we saw where agency moved a lot of their projects because they got infused with, with funding. They were able to move projects that were you know a year, 18 months, two months out and move them way to the left and execute on those. So that's how modernization was accelerated because we got the bureaucracy out of the way. I think we also saw where we use data so much um, uh, for the response efforts. Um, but I'd like to see, you know, as we continue for the federal government to continue to accelerate because we showed how much we could do when we got those blockers out of the way, that sense of urgency, how do we keep that? And how do we maintain that? I think that's a challenge so that we don't go back to the same old, same old, and we maintain that sense of urgency. So we continue to push and drive modernization. And even as I talked about earlier, looking at the budget cycles, but how do we keep that sense of urgency and continuing to push and infuse that into the budget cycles, even as we're looking at 23 and 24? Maria, what is happening in cloud computing across the federal enterprise? Are there any anticipated changes to the cloud smart strategy 
And more importantly, what does it do to accelerate the migration and use of cloud amongst federal agencies? Yeah, agencies and departments are continuing to leverage the cloud, right? Whether it's uh, it's software, you know, as a service, um, leveraging the capabilities. Um, you know, we saw how agencies have seen this over the the years. You can use the cloud, and it allows you to scale up, scale down. And we practiced that a year and a half ago, over a year ago, as we moved into the pandemic and used a lot of those services. We could scale up and scale down. And you're seeing cloud computing being used across the federal government even more for its ability to support programs and projects that are leveraging AI, for instance, where you need that compute power. You don't need to buy hardware. You don't need to put it in a data center. You leverage the cloud. You run whatever you need to do. You scale up, scale down. You run something for five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, and you turn it back off again. So you're not paying for it all the time. And, and that will continue to grow. That is going to continue and leveraging that cloud capability. Um, we're, we've looked at the cloud smart strategy and we've had some internal discussions about what's next. What is next for cloud smart? How do we continue to drive and continue to support the agencies and, and move forward, not just even as we take into account the cybersecurity executive order, how we want to look at broadly enterprise-wide initiatives, what comes next with the Cloud Smart strategy? And this comes back to the discussion we've had about broader strategy, being able to plan and execute and look broadly across the federal government and continue to leverage the cloud as a thing to support the federal enterprise. I, and I mentioned the, the, the collaboration across the agencies, leveraging the cloud for collaboration and document sharing. We're just gonna see more and more of that. And I'm also seeing, um, I get briefed on periodically every couple of months on projects. Um, the Presidential Innovation Fellows, some of the work they're doing to leverage cloud um, using AI capabilities and the cloud computing um, capacity, as well as some of the other work that's going on where, where agencies are, are taking advantage of the cloud and just its compute power. Um, it's The work's going to continue. And, and even as we're in the pandemic and you know, when you think about the CDC and the work we're doing with the pandemic and the data, um, leveraging the cloud to be able to support all of that crunching and the AI and the numbers is just incredible. And we're just going to keep pushing in that direction. How are federal agencies leveraging shared services solutions and models as an integrated part of IT modernization? And what's next for the Quizmo uh, area? Are there any new initiatives happening? Yeah, so, so, you know, the QSMOs that were designated last year, right, CISA was about over a year ago, um, Treasury last fall, as well as HHS, I think, in the December timeframe. Um, the QSMOs are, are, are getting started, um, setting up their marketplaces to offer their services, right? So CISA specifically had three services that they were going to offer. You've probably seen in the press some of the work that they're doing. So um, we're continuing to, to leverage those QSMOs um, and HHS with grants, for instance, right? So they, it's a lot of work to set up something for the federal government. And, and using HHS for an example, they 
uh, have to stand up a big program management office. While they were running grants.gov for a number of agencies, for many agencies across the federal government, um, standing up this QSMO with that marketplace, they had to put a senior executive in charge, stand up a program management office, and really bring all of that together. That is what's happening at Treasury as well as CISA um, over the course of the last you know, year to six months, um, with HHS being the most recent. So we are having um, broader discussions about shared services and solutions, because one size doesn't fit all. We know that. And as we think about those shared services, it is about shared services and having a marketplace for agencies to go to because agencies have their missions and how they operate. Yet I think there's a core set of, of services that can be offered across the federal government that agencies can pick and choose from. And I think that's really important to have that marketplace so agencies have that choice. What is being done to develop and reskill the federal IT workforce? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security, in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Maria Rote, Deputy Federal Chief Information Officer within the Office of Management and Budget. So, Maria, switching gears to cyber, what are some of the key cybersecurity challenges facing the U.S. federal government? How are you working to address those challenges and mitigate the risk and impact of the threats to federal agencies' data, systems, and networks? You know, the, um, the government's response to solar winds and some of the other major, major incidents, it, it really identified, you know, federal networks, there are gaps in some of our fundamental and foundational cybersecurity measures and some of the things that, that we do. Some agencies are certainly, their maturity is way ahead of others. But again, it, it did identify some of those foundational cybersecurity challenges that we have across, across the federal government. Um, you know, in addition to the executive order and all the actions in there, we're also engaging in efforts to, to incrementally transition FISMA from that compliance-based model to a risk-based model, right? In, with a focus on empirical data, defenses, reducing the attack surface and having very clear security outcomes 
from that. So we're not just about compliance. So taking a step back, aside from the executive order and all the actionable things in there, from a strategy perspective, looking at FISMA and that compliance model that we have and how do we adjust that and then align agency strategic goals, right? For those fundamental cybersecurity improvements for FISMA as well as the president's management agenda and continuing to drive that change. We have to streamline those requirements, whether it's qualitative, quantitative, performance reporting, as we're bringing up the maturity of the federal government to, to address those gaps. And we have to make sure that as we're looking at reporting, not just compliance, but again, to quantify those gaps, figure out what those big barriers are to, you know, achieving, uh, you know, call it success, right? Achieving and addressing those, those foundational things. So this is where FISMA comes in, really those assessments, those metrics, and how do we augment that? And how do we continue to build on that from a strategy perspective so that we're moving away from those compliance exercises to really more of, of looking at it with that risk lens um, and a risk-based model with using data and empirical data to understand clearly where we are to address those foundational gaps. So Maria, how are you working with federal agencies to bring more top technical talent into government? What's happening around the Federal Reskilling Academy? I know what I mean by that, the data science program is an example. Any updates? Shall we anticipate any changes in this area? You know, I, I am all about bringing top talent into the government and I am a huge supporter, just given where I started, right? From the bottom, you know, GS3. And I'm, I'm a huge supporter of bringing in high school graduates, veterans, college graduates in at lower levels in career ladder positions. And I would love to see more, me, me, I would love to see more of that in the federal government, having career ladders, 579s, 7911s, you know, 1112s, 911-12s, those career ladders. And, and I think bringing technical talent into the government really requires just um, many levers, right? From looking at a balance of, you know, bringing in top tier talent or bringing people in early in their careers coming out of high school, right? Or mid-career. And we have to balance that with reskilling and upskilling our high potential federal employees. We've got we've got federal employees that are that are incredibly high potential. Look at the Cyber Reskilling Academy. The CIO Council sponsored that. We ran that to take people who were not cybersecurity experts and put them through a six-month reskilling program, and it was phenomenally successful. And we, what we learned out of that, and we ran headlong into HR <laughs> and regulations that said, well, these folks only had six months of, of training. They need a year to get um, into a position of cybersecurity. So that was, that was a huge learning experience. And we ran into that brick wall. But taking the uh, federal data science training program, this is where we took people who already had, as opposed to cyber reskilling where people had no cybersecurity experience, the data science training program 
uh, took people who already had skills in data, but brought them into a program on emerging, emerging data science skills, right? This is the upskilling part. And this is where we had 61 federal employees from 20 of the 24 CFO Act agencies. And they completed six months of training, 28 online courses, as well as a capstone project specific for their agency where they had to work together. And I think this is really the value out of that is it showed how we could take people who already had skills, right? And put them through a training program. And we have critical gaps in data science. And this really started filling the gap. And we're taking this to say, well, how do we continue to take this training program and grow it, right? Um, and really use this program as a model so that agencies can do it specifically, or we can run more programs like this federal wide. These people had more than the participants cumulatively, they had more than 3,700 hours of training. They had 180 separate learning assessments. And it was about cross-functional working together, working as a team, working across those 61 people. And it wasn't just about 2210s in the IT series. We had 21 different job series that were represented in this program. You know, coming back to your question, we have to balance not just recruiting at the lower, mid, and senior grades. We also have to balance with reskilling and upskilling um, our current federal workforce. Again, you know, taking that, that cybersecurity um, reskilling academy and taking people with no cyber experience. It was hugely successful, as was the federal data science training program. We have to do more of this. And I'm seeing more of you know, RPA training, um, bringing in people who are in the mission space and bringing them in to learn about automation. So I think there's still a lot of potential here, but we also have to tackle it from many different directions. Maria, staying on data for a second, I was wondering how has the federal data strategy helped government agencies apply discipline to the use of their data to deliver more effectively their mission, serve customers, and be better stewards of government resources? What's the current administration's plan in this area? You know, I want to give a shout out to the CDO Council and uh, uh, Ted Kauk and uh, Dan Morgan, the co-chairs for leading that. They stood the council up about a year ago. This is all part of the, the federal data strategy. And when you look broadly at the federal government, data continues to be front and center. When you look at the, the executive orders around equity and the evidence-based decision-making and the learning agenda, they all have elements of data in those. And when you look at the executive order under cybersecurity, there are data elements across all of those. So we're gonna to continue to build the government-wide data maturity. And that includes those incremental actions that were outlined in the federal data strategy. Last year's actions were focused on the foundational activities, in governance and planning and infrastructure. This year is continuing to build on that and some of last year's learning. And we are really encouraging agencies to include their CDOs in their agency strategic planning activities because they are an integral part of so much that is happening within the agencies. So we know, you know, agencies, some are further along the ladder than others on their maturity, and many are participating in the data 
you know, driven activities and the evidence decision-making and developing the learning agendas. So we're continuing to, to encourage that. And agencies are still focused on their data inventories, right? Understanding what data they have, what does it look like, um, you know, as they, they consider sharing data. And, and I think from a data perspective, data sharing, a year and a half, a little over a year ago, the CDO, CIO council said, we need to do more data sharing. And this is something the CDO, is, um, CDO council is taking on, is data sharing across the federal government. What are those barriers, whether they're cultural or all the way through to policy and legislative on sharing data so that we can have better outcomes across the federal government. I mean, I've seen within agencies on data sharing where within a component or bureau, two offices won't even share data with each other because they have to, you know, they say they can't. And this is really getting through some of the bureaucracy and some of the culture of the why nots and still maintaining what we need to for security and privacy because those continue, that is front and center, right? But we can do this and we can break through some of those barriers, um, but we have to understand what those are first. So that work is, is going to continue. And I think, um, you know, protecting those data assets along with the data inventory is, continues to be, continues to be um, incredibly important. So Maria, another important thing from data strategy to digital strategy, uh, perhaps you can give us a glimpse into some of the key priorities in this area for the current administration. Yeah, on a digital strategy, when you talk about a digital strategy, there's there's so many things that that incorporate what you could call a digital strategy, right? I talked about, you know, designing and building and building services and offerings that you've used human-centered design, right, for a better experience. But we also have to think about the IDEA Act, what that experience is. Are, are we you know, uh, building out websites, right? Are they 508 compliant? Are, we, are they mobile friendly? Building in all of those capabilities in our processes and in our websites. So, and, and also you know, electronic signatures, that's all part of the IDEA. And the Cases Act, and I think both of those are are foundationally impactful. The Cases Act um, requires federal agencies to accept electronic identity proofing and authentication processes to allow you know an individual to access whether it's their records or or what have you. But the Idea Act and the Cases Act, I think, are really important parts of that digital strategy. The CIO Council continues to drive on that. Um, and this gets to some of the broader IT modernization initiatives across the federal government. And there's, of course, tie-ins to the ARP and the TMF funding as we continue to modernize. So if you start with key to that digital strategy is providing a better user experience, and then you start looking at, well, what makes a better experience, the IDEA Act, the cases, Act are as well, cybersecurity, bringing all of those things together. So that digital strategy is centered around a better experience for our customers and users. That's a wonderful transition because earlier you talked about customers and users, and you mentioned earlier the administration's focus when it, with, with technology is on the customer experience and bettering it. So I was wondering, how does IT strategy support service delivery in areas that the public sees? 
you know, uh, with Claire coming in, she's got an incredible background around customer experience. Um, so she has a, a big emphasis. Um, we all do, and we understand this as CIOs. Uh, you know, how to improve that, that customer experience. You want to have a seamless customer experience. We, there are um, the high impact service providers that were identified several years back, right? What are those high impact service providers? And, and how are we providing a seamless ex customer experience across all of those in the federal government? So this, this is really a critical part of the broader strategy, even as we look at, at cross federal wide services, whether it's shared services across the federal government, what are the linkages between those high impact service providers and what are those things, whether it's around identity or other, that we can have commonality across those. So these are some of the things that we're tackling right now. You know, uh, Maria, are there any complementary strategies that can magnify the impact of IT modernization? Uh, from a strategy perspective, I think, you know, the TMF, um, the ARP funding and the one the one billion there. Um, you know, I know the administration had wanted more money than that. I think I saw, I think I saw a number at one point like 10 billion. Um, but part of that, there's a number of strategies. One is that that TMF and the ARP funds, right? That is impacting IT modernization in the federal government, providing those funds with the flexibility around repayment where agencies have not been able to fund multi-year initiatives in our current budgeting environment, where it's very hard to plan, at least from a CIO perspective and speaking from experience, how do you plan year after year for multi-year initiatives? And the TMF is, is really one strategy that, that is impacting that. I think uh, cybersecurity, looking at it also from a multi-year perspective with the cyber um, EO, the zero trust framework, and the architectures that the agencies have to put forward, that is the second thread that is really driving um, IT modernization. Because if you look at the high, high impact service providers, some of the technology that's behind the scenes, some of that continues to be dated. So by driving cybersecurity, a zero trust architecture, by default, you have to tackle a lot of these systems. So these are two strategies that are very impactful and that are really going to drive change across the federal government and in landscape at large. Maria, what can the private sector do to help improve the efficiency and effectiveness of government IT? You know, the continued partnership. I can't, I can't say enough about the partnership of industry um, and the support that we had at the onset of the pandemic. And, and so a shout out, you know, for me personally, from SBA, all of those companies that, that, that stepped up very quickly as we got the bureaucracy and the noise out of the way and supported us. And I think that continued partnership um, with industry, because sometimes industry see things, sees things from the outside looking in that I may not see from where I sit. Um, and I do know that I, I do hear from industry and they'll tell me, hey, did you know agency X, Y, or Z is doing this thing? Or did you know that you had four agencies that are working on this or that three agencies could benefit from A, B, or C? So that continued partnership and that sharing of information is, is so important. 
And I think, you know, with the pandemic and going virtual, I think we missed some of those sidebar conversations we used to have. Um, in those one-off conversations, we used to have face-to-face. -face. So continue to reconnect on, on those partnerships um, and, and helping us with our strategies and having that view and bringing in those industry best practices, some of the technologies and some of the forward-leaning things that industry is doing that we really need to bring into the federal government. And this is where the partnerships um, really come in and 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 are really incredibly beneficial for us. Is there anything I missed that you would want to talk about before I last my, ask my last question? Uh, I think, you know, the pace of technology change is continuing. Agencies are leveraging cloud, AI, they're maturing data, yet we still have legacy systems in our portfolio and we have to continue to push and continue to accelerate, not only as technologies, the pace of change accelerates, we have to, we have to move fast. Maria, my last question. What advice would you give someone who is thinking about a career in public service? Oh my gosh. Um, it's about the mission and it's about the things you can do in government that you cannot do in private sector. I'm probably the poster child for this. Um, <laughs> there are so many things that you can do in the federal government, you know, working at transportation, learning about connected cities, right? B2B, B2I, or working at NASA. I've never worked there, but, you know, they've got an incredible mission that everybody resonates. But think about Department of Labor and the National Science Foundation and the Department of Education. It's about that mission. And there are things you are going to do in technology that is incredibly forward-leaning that I know I've worked on things that are on the leading edge that industry wasn't even working on yet. And having that ability to be front and center to that technology and those changes, I think uh, that's why somebody should, should consider a career in the public sector because it is about the mission. And there are so many cool things you can do from a technology perspective to support that. That's wonderful advice. Maria, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me today. But more importantly, throughout your career, I want to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Oh, thank you very much. It was uh, great talking with you today. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Maria Rote, Deputy Federal Chief Information Officer within the Office of Management and Budget. Be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government leadership and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app. And as always, at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more.
WFED Washington, WTOP FM HD2 Washington, W283DG Sterling, WTLP FM HD2 Braddock Heights Frederick. Federal News Network is the news organization of record for the federal community. We are nonpartisan, nonpolitical, and our job is to help federal government and contracting executives make informed decisions. We inform federal managers, contractors, and policymakers on issues related to the federal workforce, management, and acquisition, pay benefits and retirement, the Defense Department, and federal IT. Portions pre-recorded. Nights and weekends, we air Washington Nationals, Capitals, and Wizards, and the Navy Midshipmen. We are the Washington, D.C. home of Navy Athletics. Download the Federal News Network app on the App Store or Google Play Store. Play Federal News Network on Alexa. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Federal News Network. Our mission is helping you meet your mission.